church. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Anybody excited this morning? Oh, come on. There's got to be more than that. Yeah, that's more like it. Amen. I'm excited about the word this morning. I'm excited to have our friends and family, people that, that uh, we invited, that we've been blasting on Facebook and Twitter this week. Amen? amen. Would you t- turn somebody and say, man, you look, you look good in church. <laughs> all right, all right. All right, we ready to press in? All right, here's the quote. I like to start with a quote. Here's the quote for today. I've used this before. I just love it. I want to use it again. There are two great days in a person's life. Bless you. Now you interrupted. I got to start again. Thank you. There are two great days in a person's life. The day we are born and the day we discover why. Oh, come on. That's good. I didn't write it. Come on. That's good. I want to welcome you today as you, as you've probably been hearing, we're going to start a brand new series today. And the way we like to do it here at the sanctuary, we pick a book of the Bible and we just go through it. (laughs) We just go through it and I believe in doing that we're going to see miracles each and every week. Can you believe that with me? Let me, let me show you how we see miracles each and every week. Because, see, we're, we're just going through the book of the Bible. We're going to see miracles every week. Because you have to understand that God uses His Word that was written so long ago. And, and there is no one that could have predicted thousands of years ago that on these weeks we'd be studying these particular chapters and you would be here in these particular chairs going through those particular issues that you're going through. And then when we start to hear it and start to talk about it in the Word, that can only be a miracle. Amen? You see what I'm saying? Like we're going to go through the word and it's just going to happen to deal with the things that some of us are dealing with. Only God could arrange something like that. So you have to understand that, that we're going to see miracles. Listen, I, I, I want to, I believe, and, and this is one thing that I'm going to take for granted. For those of you that are visiting, those of you that are coming new, I'm going to take one thing for granted. And it's this. I believe that if you're here today, you are at least in some way or for some reason searching for truth. Is it okay to assume that? You are searching for truth. You didn't come here for boberia or tanteria or, or whatever. You came searching for truth. And I want you to know that I realize that and I respect that. And I want you to know... That not myself or anyone else from this pulpit will ever try to trick or manipulate you or even try to convince you to believe what we believe or the way we believe. Whether you're here for the first time today or you've been here since the beginning, you, you have to know and I want you to know that we are not here, the church is not here to correct your behavior We're not here to load you with guilt. We're not here to make you feel bad. We're not here to tell you what a vile, low, sinful creature you are. We're not here to condemn you. 
And surely we are not here to shackle you with the bondages of religion. Somebody say amen. Amen. So I hope that made some of you go, The truth is we are just here to present the word of God. We're here to share the gospel. And the gospel means the good news. Amen? So we're here to wrestle with scriptures together. We're here to study, to discuss, and more importantly, to live this thing out together. That's, that's church. Alright? Now on the flip side of that, we are not here to blow smoke up your skirt. We are not here to scratch where you itch. We're not here to tell you everything you want to hear. We're not here to make you feel comfortable about every decision that you've made or every decision that you've made. The truth is, the awful importance, and this is on my Facebook all week, the awful importance of this life is that it determines our eternity. Amen? The awful importance of the way we live determines our eternity. And so what's awesome about the Word of God is that the Word of God is always faithful to convict the comfortable and to comfort the convicted. Oh, man, receive that. Receive that today. It's a beautiful cycle. You come into church and you're all comfortable and the Word of God convicts you. Not the pastor, not the preaching. The Word of God convicts you. Amen? And then, and then when you're convicted, the Word of God comforts you. Amen? But then when, when, you're, when you're too comfortable, you get convicted, and then you get comforted, and then you get convicted, and then you get comforted, and it's a beautiful cycle. That's the Word of God. So if you're sitting here today, or, or the next week, or the next month, as we're going to go through this Word in the particular book titled 1 Corinthians... Listen to me. If it talks about your history, and it probably will, if it talks about your habits, and it just might, if it talks about your lifestyle, your attitudes, your insecurities, your false securities, your morality, your sense of right and wrong, your ideas of good and bad, and and there's a pretty good chance that it will do all of that. Family, you might get offended. You might get angry. You might want to cry, you might want to raise your hands, you might want to punch me in the face. I don't recommend that. You might want to shout, you might want to just run out. Will you remember that you came in looking for truth? And all we want to do here is love you enough to share the truth. Because we believe God loves us enough to tell us the truth. Amen? Alright, so today I want to start this series on the book of 1 Corinthians. I want to title this series, Ordinary People. You started singing that in your heads, I know. That's the number one karaoke song. People should not sing that song. You have to be a very good singer to sing that song. We've heard some pretty bad renditions of that song. But the truth is, we're just ordinary people, amen? Amen? See, some people hear the stories in the Bible and they make these players these superheroes. They make them these these super spiritual giants. But the truth is, they were just ordinary people like you and me. 
right? Take, for example, Elijah, right? Elijah was this mighty man of God, this mighty prophet. He challenged all the botanicas of that time and challenged their God against his God. Can you imagine doing that? And, and he brought them to a showdown and, and, and they battled before God. And of course, God is victorious. God won. And hundreds of these, these, um, these santeros and epiditas and, and all these, hundreds of them were wiped out that day. Elijah, mighty man of God. And then a, a lady writes him a letter and threatens him. And, and he runs and he hides and he's depressed. He says, oh, maybe I shouldn't be a Christian. Maybe I shouldn't serve God. Maybe he, that's just like you and me, right? Amen? No, you guys are more mature than that? It's just like us. He's just an ordinary people. Amen? But the truth is, God takes ordinary people from, ex- from ordinary places, from ordinary times, and He does extraordinary things. And that's why we're here. Amen? All right, so you'll see as we get into it today, and today I'm just going to kind of set it up. We don't, we're not going to go real deep. We're just going to get ready to go deep. We're going to get ready. We're going to put our gear on today. We're, we're not even going to really go in today. I just want to let you know what you're in for if you stick around. Amen, welcome. If you decide to grow with us, if you decide to learn with us and stretch for us, I, I, I just want you to know kind of what you're into. Because you see, I believe God is calling us to build something here that will last. And see, you can't build something with hype and, 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 and you, you know, with, with smoke and mirrors and, and lights. And, and you can't build something with hype that's going to last. If something's going to stick around, you've got to really do some work to pour into that foundation. And so what we want to do is build a solid foundation. This church is only six years old. And, and God has done some amazing things, but we don't ever want to think like we're someplace that we're not. We're still pouring foundation, I believe. I believe we're still stretching the foundation. I think the building, and I don't mean the building, but the the building, you you understand what I'm saying? It's going to be so large that six years later, we're still pouring the foundation. Amen? We're still building the bottom part. We haven't even even started to go up yet. I believe God is, is doing something serious. And listen, so you, you don't, when you're building something like that, you don't quickly put the sheetrock on the walls. First, you've got to inspect the beams. First, you've got to make sure that everything is joined together. Before, before you ever see a wall with sheetrock in it, you have to understand, before that wall went up, inside there's electricity that's got to be run. Inside there's plumbing that's got to go through. There's codes, there's wiring, there's all kinds of things that have to happen before you actually put up the walls. I believe we're still in that phase of this church. The lastly, before you actually put a piece of sheetrock up, the inspectors have to come in and inspect and make sure that everything was done right. Because once you put the sheetrock up, you can't see it anymore. And so if it's done wrong, if the foundation is done wrong, we'll find out later because we'll have problems. Amen? So see, I believe God is calling us to build something here. And I believe that each of you is here for that purpose. So I just want to help equip and get you to find your place and get you to start building. Because we got a lot to build. Amen? So I had a dream the other night, and this is crazy. Listen, Thursday, I, was, I usually prepare on Thursday nights, right? I'm you know, reading during the week, and I usually prepare on Thursday nights. And Thursday, I had this dream. And I, it felt like, you know those dreams where it felt like the minute I put my head on the pillow, I started dreaming. And then 
Five, six hours later when I woke up, I just finished that dream. So I felt like I was dreaming the entire night this one thing. What was I doing in this dream? All I was doing all of those hours was cleaning a printer. Isn't that weird? The whole time, the whole night, I had taken this thing apart. I was cleaning with a little brush, with a cloth, with a rag, with spray. I, was, I mean, I, I made sure I was cleaning every single part of this printer from beginning, from top to bottom, every single thing. I woke up in the morning like tired. I said, oh, I got a strain in my neck. I've been cleaning this printer all night. <coughs> Now, understand, I'm an IT guy, and I would never do that in real life. Because how many of you know you could buy a new printer cheaper than you could buy cartridges for the old one? Right? Everybody's like, yeah. Don't have beef with me. Check it out with Staples. That has nothing to do with me. So I would never do that in real life. But, but you see, I, I, God, I believe God was showing me something. How many of you believe God still speaks in dreams? God spoke to everybody in the Bible in dreams. Did you know that? So I don't know how people like, believe that he stopped doing that. Like, why would he stop? He, and he didn't understand in the Bible, when you read the word, he spoke to, to the godliest of, you know, prayer warrior people. And then he spoke to the, the heathens, people that had no love for God, right? So God will speak to anybody in a dream, amen? I know, I've met people that come to church, nobody invited them, it just, God scared the hell out of them in a dream, and they showed up in church. Anybody, anybody? You don't have to blow your spots up, it's alright. So, I I believe God was showing me that if you're going to get, listen, pay attention, if you're going to get a good quality production of what you've worked so hard to create, you've got to make sure that the printer is working properly. You're following me? See, you have to make sure that every part of that printer is clean, that every part of that printer is functioning, and that it is properly doing what it was supposed to do. Right? Because all a printer does is produce what you've worked so hard to create. You with me? And so, so if, if, if I, I know I've, I've been called to, to, you know, to the execs and they tell me, well, look, I'm getting this the little dot, this little smudge on the paper, everything I print, right? Why? Why? Because there's something on the toner, right? Or there's something on the printer roll. There's something. And so if you remove that little piece of dirt, that'll stop coming out in all of the... Oh, come on. You with me? Church, we are that printer, The church serves as an instrument to produce what the designer has created. If some parts of the printer are broken or missing, why why do you think we've been having this national back to church? Because there's been parts of the printer missing. And, and if you know that if there's a, some parts of the... We can, we can probably print with a lot of parts missing, but there's some parts that if they're missing, you won't get nothing out of that thing, right? Try to pull in out an ink cartridge out of one of your printers. It'll go through the motions. It'll make all the noise, but nothing will come out, right? Oh, come on. Mm. Isn't that a picture of the church today? It goes through the motions. It'll make all the noise. Worship, uh, flyers, outreach. It'll make all the noise, but the page will be blank. 
nothing will come out. If all the pieces are in there functioning the way they should be functioning. So what does this have to do with 1 Corinthians? That's why I love you guys, because you ask the great questions. What's going on here is that the printer at Corinth was in a messy, messy place. And when you have a printer, a church, in a really dirty place, sometimes what comes out of it has the potential to get very messy. How many of you have ever tried to stay clean in a dirty place? See, what we're going to see in these two books is Paul carefully, meticulously equipping and fixing this printer and cleaning the house. I thought you'd be a little more excited about that, but all right. See, if you read about the city of Corinth, let's do a quick, a quick history lesson here. It was, the, the city was a very popular, well-known city. It was a major city known for working hard and partying even harder. Corinth, you know how we have the term party like a rock star? There's a term in Roman, and I couldn't say it so I didn't bother writing it, but there's a term that refers to living like a Corinthian. So we thought we made that up. They made that up thousands of years ago. There's a term that means party like a rock star. It means like, you know, go all out, go crazy, wild out, do whatever. There, there was a term that, that said that about the Corinthian people because it was well known for wealth, luxury, amusement, and pleasure, the city. It was well known for the love of money and even better known for the love of pleasure. It had a reputation for the reckless pursuit of pleasure. Some of you are like, I want to go. Does it remind anyone of, this, of any other city? Scary, isn't it? But even let me take you even further so you get a little more history on it. Ancient cities of that time, they were usually devoted and dedicated to a principal god or goddess. Remember, we're talking about Roman times and mythology and all this kind of thing, right? And so they, it, th this particular city, Corinth, was devoted to Venus. The Greek goddess, Romans called her Aphrodite, the goddess of love and passion. I mean, you know, that's, that's a setup for some trouble, right? There was a, the city on their highest hill, they built a temple to Aphrodite so that it could be seen from everywhere. It was on the highest hill. And guess what they had at this temple? It is said that at any time there were a thousand public prostitutes employed by the temple. Being with a prostitute was worship to this God. Do, do, do you get the sickness of the city? So, so these, these, these prostitutes would, would gather with people and sing sacred hymns to the goddess. And, and then, uh, of course, exchange as worship unto God. You've you got to understand the vileness of this city. 
They had, there's a museum now where there's a part of, of, of history of structure that they have and, and listen to what it is. It's a, it's a wall with shelves of, one thing Corinthians were known for was pottery also. They had genitals made of pottery that they would, that the Corinthians would create to offer up to Aphrodite and pray for healing. I see the sick look on some of your faces. I'm not making this up. So why? Because there was such um, extreme cases of venereal diseases. Can you imagine when the city is on? The city was only five miles long. So a thousand prostitutes is a lot of prostitutes for a city, a small city. There was such a case that they would make genitals of pottery and offer it up to God and pray for healing. Not to God, but to, to Aphrodite, to the goddess of love and passion. Now, you, you have to ask yourself, why would God start a church in such a dirty city? One historian says about Corinth, they were intellectually alert, they were materially prosperous, but they were morally corrupt. Why would God start a church in a city dedicated to a goddess and given over to the love of money and to the pursuit of pleasure? Well, instead of asking that, can we just be grateful that God does start churches in cities that are given over to the love of money? And given over to the love of pleasure. Amen. So Paul started this church. He spent about a year and a half there in in the church building the fellowship. And by church, of course, I'm not talking about a building. Right? It was, it's the body of Christ. So, so Paul spent a year and a half there building this church. And, and now at the time of this letter, when it's written, time has passed. And he's gotten some reports sent back to him that the church... People are wilding out. Can you imagine that church people wilding out? That's crazy, right? Why are you all so serious? It's all right. Relax. Man. So he gets a a report that people are tripping, that that the church people, that the leadership, they're missing the mark, man, that people are really, they're wilding out, they're doing this and doing that. And so in that time, you know, you couldn't just jump in a car and drive over there. You couldn't. So you wrote a letter. You wrote letters. Right? And so Paul writes these letters to the church that's wilding out. And so that letter is what we're going to be studying in the next couple of weeks. Amen? So here's how he starts. He starts the letter with the usual format. We're just going to go through real quick the beginning of it. He starts the letter with the usual format of that time. Who he is and who he's writing to. And so who he is, he says, I am Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ called by God. Who is he writing to? Listen to this. To the church of God in Corinth, to the sanctified in Christ, and called to be saints together with all those everywhere who call upon the name of the Lord Jesus. So who is he addressing in this letter? He's addressing the church of God. And understand, back then the word church was a secular word. The word church, ecclesia, was a secular word. It just meant a gathering or an assembly. So, but Paul is saying, I'm not just talking to any gathering or any assembly. I'm talking to those assembled in my name. I'm talking to the assembled, to the church of God. And then he says, I'm talking to the church of God in Corinth. Notice the contrast between the church and the city. 
Family, the, the question always has to be, is the church influencing the city or is the city influencing the church? Can you, can you start to feel, even from the very beginning, from these first three lines of, of, of this, that this study is going to be very relevant to us right here today? Amen? Can, see, we've made the Bible this ancient manuscript for scholars and, and, and for people to pull little devotionals out. Instead of realizing that the Word of God is alive and active and relevantly speaking to us right where we are today. And so he writes, to the church in the city. I don't know about you, but I get this goosebumpy feeling when I read that. Because I, I feel like he's talking to me. He's saying to the church in the city. Hey, family, he's talking to us. So understand, from this point forward, anything that he says, he's talking to us. He says to the church in Corinth and to all of those gathered everywhere, assembled under my name. And so listen to what he writes, verse 3. He said, may all the gifts and benefits that come from God our Father and Master Jesus be yours. Every time I think of you and I think of you often, I thank God for your lives of free and open access to God given by Jesus. Verse 3, that verse, he just preached the entire gospel in his greeting. Isn't that amazing? In the, the entire, he says, because of Jesus and what he did, we have free and open access to God. Then he says, verse 5, there's no end to what has happened in you. It's beyond speech. It's beyond knowledge. The evidence of Christ has been clearly verified in your lives. He's saying, I'm calling you saints. Right now, you may not be acting like it. Right now, you may not be looking like it. Right now, you, you, you may have let the city influence the church, but, but Paul says, but I'm calling you saints. you you got to grasp the way he's talking to these people here because he's talking to us. See, Paul is about to deal with some serious issues. He's about to bring some correction. He's about to bring rebuke to some sinful behavior, but he starts the letter with a greeting and an encouragement. He says, make no mistake about it, there has been sufficient evidence in your lives that you are God's people. You are the church of God. You might be messing up right now, but make no mistake, you are Christians. Anybody, and, and, and listen, this happens to all of us. Anybody feel like you could be new here today, you could have just come back after a long time? Anybody feel like, man, sometimes I mess up so much, I don't even know if I'm... I don't even know if I'm saved. I don't even know if I'm a Christian sometimes. Anybody? I'm glad there's three of us on this side. So this message is for us, right? All these super holy folk on this side, you know, whatever. When we get to self-righteousness, we'll deal with them, right? But the truth is, all of us, right, we, we, we go through these things sometimes, and sometimes we feel, man, that's not even me. I'm not even, I don't even belong in that church. I see people worshiping and excited, and man, that used to be me, but that's not me anymore, man. I don't even, that's not, anybody ever felt like that? Well, Paul, Paul, is, Paul is telling them, listen, make no mistake about it. You are the church of God. Make no mistake about it. You are my child. Make no mistake about it. You are saints. I know that's so hard to hear, isn't it? Isn't it? Some of you, like you, you, you're listening to me, but you're saying, no, nah, you don't know what I did just before I got here. 
I just smoked a doobie before I walked in. Good, I'm glad you're feeling nice right now. Let's take care of that. Let's deal with that. You're saying, nah, man, you don't know what I did last night. You don't know what I did last... Listen, Paul is saying, these people are wilding out. And Paul is saying, listen, make no mistake about it. The evidence in your life... Right now, and, and, and listen, I'm not, I'm not uh, condoning and I'm not saying all that stuff is fine. It's not. Right? And we'll get to it. There'll be plenty of that. But I just want to let you know, I want you to feel at home. I want you to feel at peace. I want you to know that you are here, that you are here for a reason, that God has called you back, that God does love you, that God does accept you, and that nothing you have done will has disqualified you from being here. That's, that's really what I want to get across. Amen? And so he encourages them before he brings about... Listen, I got this quote from a thing. It says, those who feel called in the church to rebuke and correct today should follow Paul's example. Unfortunately, many never communicate any encouragement, only correction. Take it, take the lump and file it. Amen? Paul says, you have, he's talking to the church and to us, you have every spiritual gift that God has ever given. You have some issues, yes, but it doesn't mean you are not the church of God. You might mess up, but God's got you. You might blow it, but God doesn't make mistakes. You might still fall unfaithful, but the God who called you is faithful. You might have given up on yourself, but we've been calling you back because God hasn't given up on you. So Paul encourages and builds up, and then he says, verse 10, Notice the first nine verses, he's encouraging and qualifying and calling them, even calling things that are not as if they were. Now verse 10, he says, but I have a serious concern to bring up for you. Are you ready for the first pow-pow? Are you ready, family? Are you mature enough to take it? Are you ready for the first correction in love? He says, my friends, using the authority of Jesus Christ, our master, let me put it as urgently as I can. Here's the first correction. You must get along with each other. Check it. Make sure I'm not making this up. Check your Bibles, 1 Corinthians. You should, I encourage you to be, as we go through this sermon series, read it at home so that you know if I start adding things or making things up, right? Sometimes this pulpit makes people crazy. Amen? <laughs> I'm sure you've seen, you've had plenty of experiences, right? This, this, this position here makes some people kind of crazy. It gives some people this power that makes you drunk sometimes. And it makes you feel a little insane, and it makes you feel sometimes, you know, like you can control everything. You stand, you sit, you kneel, bow before me, I mean God. Right? So always, listen, I'll always tell you, don't respect me because of this. Respect me for who I am. Amen? And so I encourage you, check what's being said here. Check what's being sung about. Check. Check it. And if it's not in the Word, and if it strays even a little bit from the Word, get the hell out. 
Amen? Find a church that's preaching truth. Leave this place quickly. Amen. All right. That was a disclaimer. So, so, so Paul says, listen, using the authority, let me put it as urgently as I can. You must get along with each other. You must learn to communicate each other with each other and be considerate of one another, cultivating a life in common. Can I shout that out today? Church, you must get along. <laughs> oh man, this is rough. Couples. You must get along. Friends, family, you must get along. Leadership, you must get along. That's Bible. You must get along. For too long we say, it's okay to disagree and it's okay. We must get along. Amen? Amen? For too long we've tolerated that in church, we've tolerated in leadership, we've tolerated no more. The Word says we must get along, so we got to find a way to work this thing out if we're going to truly be the church. Amen? Well, all right, I want to close today the way Paul starts. (laughs) You see, that's all I had to say today. (laughs) Get along. Amen. Bow your heads. Sorry that it took me an hour and a half to say it. I want to close today the way Paul starts this letter. And, and the way he starts it is, is really cool. This is something that you might not notice if you just kind of read it through. This is something you need like one of the ancient commentaries to bring up and make you go, Oh, snap! It's true! So Paul starts the book by referring to Jesus in every verse for the first ten verses. Not common. If when you're reading the Word. Usually in the beginning they'll say, you know, I'm, a, I'm me, I'm an apostle, servant of the Most High God, and I'm here to talk to you about the Most High God. You know, in most of the letters. Paul, in this particular letter, starts every verse, in every verse for the first ten verses, he mentions Jesus. As a matter of fact, he refers back to Jesus 17 times in this letter alone. Now, we, we got to see like there's something to that, Right? If you think of someone writing you a letter to share some things with you, and if 17 times in that one letter he keeps saying the same thing again, 17 different ways, I think we're going to get the point. Right? Hopefully. Unless we're real cabeciduras, right? So he says the same thing 17 different ways. It's going to be hard not to get the point. The, the, the point is, listen, church, we went in on Facebook and Twitter, hopefully in person, where, where, wherever we could this week about needing you to come back to church. Because we missed you. Because you belonged here. Because you belong in the body of Christ. Even if it's not in this building, but, but in another church gathered up the block or the other, as long as it's a church of God, amen? And... Paul goes in on his Twitter, only he had to do it on rock, you know, but he goes in on his Twitter 17 times. He says, you need to come back to Jesus. He was saying, if you're going to do anything in this city, you've you got to have Jesus. 
He's saying if you're going to influence this city, instead of being influenced by it, you've got to get your eyes off of yourself. Stop focusing on the culture. Stop trying to be down with the culture. Stop trying to be all about the culture. And you need to start focusing on Jesus. He said if you're going to stand strong, it's going to have to be on Jesus. If you're going to present yourself pure and spotless, it's only going to be through Jesus. Listen, being nice is not going to do it. You could go to Barnes and Noble and there's an entire section of books on positive thinking. Spiritual boberia. Nonsense. I mean, I could sit and write six of those books on a weekend, put them out and they'd be bestsellers. Just speaking nonsense. You just got to think better. You just got to be positive. You got to wake up and say to yourself every day, you're handsome and good looking. And today you're going to conquer the world. It all might be true. Like it might give you a right attitude. It might, but listen, without Jesus, it's not going to happen. Without Jesus, you're not going to do it because you'll be depressed again. You'll come back down again. You'll fall again. And, and, and eventually you'll stand in the mirror and say, you are one ugly dude. You're ugly not only outside, but inside you're ugly. And before you know it, you'll start defeating yourself, man. We need to speak the word over ourselves, amen? Being a good person is not going to do it. I, I, oh, I hate that. When I, when I talk to people about church, about God, and they tell me, well, listen, I'm a good person. I don't kill nobody. I'm, anybody? I'm a, I'm a good person. Oh, you're not raping people, so that means you're a good person? What kind of craziness makes you judge that like that? Like, I don't rape people, so I'm a good person. Are you stupid? Not only are you not a good person, you're a stupid person. Like, really? Really? You're going to compare yourself to murderers, and how about comparing yourself to good people? Right? How come we never, like, all right, compare yourself to someone in the Word, maybe. Compare yourself to what Jesus did. Compare, if you want to be a, a line to judge against, use a, use a good line, not a low line. Right? Stop the nonsense. Your goodness is not good enough. Right? You can't be good. Listen, family, let's, let's be right down to the line. If you, were, if you could be good enough, then, then we wouldn't need the gospel. If you could be good enough, if you could behave enough, if you could make the right decisions enough, if you could um, read enough and study enough and do good kind acts enough, if you could give enough charity, if you could do enough, we wouldn't need the gospel and we should just close the doors. The truth is none of us is good enough. Can you hear that from your pastor? He is not good enough. Not even close. Oh, don't be so, you know... Man, guys are rude sometimes. I just want to tell you. Being good is not going to do it. Being a, a religion is not going to do it. Religion is just man's attempt at making himself holy. Religion is not going to do it. Just, just going and being a part of a group of people and do the same things that they do. Shave your head or wear this or wear all white or wear these beads or wear this or, or kneel on the floor or, or bow three times to this. Or, it's not going to do it. Religion is just man's attempt of trying to make himself holy enough to say I don't need God. Isn't that crazy? Religion is really saying you don't need God. Oh, man, that's revelation stuff right there. 
That didn't even come in the notes. That was just dropped. Religion is the anti-God. Wow. All right. That'll be another series to work on. All right, family. Listen, I don't know where you stand today, but as we go through this book, we're going to deal with a lot of stuff in the coming weeks. Worship team, you guys can come. We're going to be dealing with the church at Corinth. We're going to be dealing with the church in the city. And the, the correlation and the comparison is almost frightening. We're going to deal with issues coming up in this next book. It's, it's, we're going to talk about division and ministry and sexuality and gossip and bickering and marriage and idolatry and selfishness and traditions and religion and spiritual gifts and generosity and giving and worship and life and death and resurrection and fellowship and forgiveness and purpose and failure and weakness and victory. And I hope you understand today that we brought today to love on you. To encourage you, to build you up. Maybe to help you tear some things down, but mainly to walk with you. That's all we want to do here. We want to walk with you. Because you see, family, we're just ordinary people. And we are the church in the city. This city with its love of money and its pursuit of pleasure. This city with its idols and its false gods, with its worship. Church, if we don't stand and influence it, it will not only influence us, it will tear us down and destroy us. And the beautiful message at this point in this chapter, based on who the Corinthians were and what God was doing among them, the basic message is this. No one is too bad. Did you receive that today? No one is too far gone. No one has done too much. No one has fallen too low. Grace is available for all. Paul says in verse 9, God who got you started in this spiritual adventure. He shares with us the life of His Son and Master Jesus, and He will never give up on you. Never forget that. Let me just bow our heads for a moment. He will never give up on you. Never forget that. Listen, family, I'm so glad that some of you are here today. I'm glad that some of you answered a call. I'm glad that some of you have never even left. But the bottom line, you know, and what we're saying here is not about just being here. Because you could come here every day of the week. The bottom line is really getting to that point where you're making a commitment, not a commitment to this church, not a commitment to, to tithe or to give, or, but a commitment to God. A commitment to saying, God, I am your church in this city. I am a part of that printer. And God, I want you to use me to 
reproduce, to make copies of that which you created. So if that's you today, if you've if you've come today, you maybe this is the first time you've ever even heard the gospel message that Jesus loves you. That God loves you so much that he sent his son to die because God loves you so much but he hates sin so much that something had to die and he preferred that that would not be you. And so he gave of himself that we could have life, that we could have eternal life. And that's the gift of grace. If you've never maybe publicly made that decision to accept that gift of grace, would you... Would you just catch my attention maybe? Would you just slip up a hand and say, Pastor, that's me. That's me. I want to receive that gift of grace today. Amen. I want to receive that gift. God, use me. God, I am part of your church in the city. If that's you, would you just start to stand all over this place? Would you just say, if you're saying, God, I'm, I'm tired of being away. I'm tired of being missing. I'm tired of not being apart. I'm tired of not growing. I'm not, I'm tired of being in and out. I'm tired of, 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 of falling. I'm tired of going back. If that's you, would you stand and say, that's me. I am your church in this city. Thank you, Lord. 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 To those of you that are standing, can we just say welcome home? Welcome home. Amen. Welcome home. Would you, would you listen? You don't have to, but if, if you'd like to just join us, would you come and just join us? Can everybody else just stand? Let's all stand together with our families, with our friends. Would you make your way down? Some of you are already coming down. Amen. Would you make your way down? If you make that decision today, we just want to pray with you. We have someone that's going to stand here with you and just kind of pray with you and agree with you. We want to welcome you home. We want to embrace you and just, you guys can come on and you don't have to wait. Just come right up here and just be with us. Amen. You want to come and stand with your family, stand with your friends, come on down with them. That's all right. We're going to worship together for a couple of moments. And then Pastor Gary and Joshua, they're going to just kind of uh, uh, spend some time with you for real, real quick just to get acquainted with you. Come on, let's worship, let's worship.